0: The true believer and uh, someone living outside of the realm of faith in God is, that, uh, is in the realm of expectation. Uh, folks wait on uh, the newest, you know, what's uh, T-Mobile going to come up with next? What's the next advancement? You know, it used to have a phone. Now we have a watch, this, that, and the other. What's coming? Can it be faster? Can it, you know, what, uh, but for the believer, you know, our, expectation is on what will the living God do next because he's faster than 4G or 5G or whatever much faster and he's much wiser than AI I can tell you Uh, so he's the one that we look to and uh, we're over here in 1st Kings 18 tonight and this uh, story of Elijah of the uh, situation which was taking place in and among the children of Israel um, is fascinating to me because it just brings out in full color and full view our living God. And what he did in history then, he continues to work. We're we're becoming uh, more knowledgeable as we read and study the Word of God of how our living God Responds to man's sin, responds to even the obedience on the part of his people, uh, because he does respond and he does lead and he does guide in real time, in real space, in the here and now. So that is the uh, fuel for the uh, pr- really the presentation of what we see here and of everything that takes place here among god's people here in this church body it's what is the lord what will he do next i mean we're on the edge of our seat uh, for the 1 a, 1 1 a.m yeah 1 a.m uh, situation there and we're just all ready for the lord just to do what god does and uh, and then there are there are others near and dear to our heart they're 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 uh weak spiritually or they're they're weak physically, uh, they're dealing with uh, difficult situations, and we're, we're, we're looking. What is God going to do in their life? What's he going to do for them? How will he lead? How will he guide? Uh, and then for, for us, you know, what, what's, what's God got in store for us? Uh, is, it, is, it, uh, a stor- is there a storm coming? Uh, well, we better be prepared. Are we just coming out of a storm, or is it fair weather? We'll enjoy for a while. So the Lord is at work, and that's our, our confidence is in Him and what He does, and He is the living God, and um, I can't say that enough. We're in uh, 1 Kings 18. I think I uh, mentioned that. We'll begin with verse 1. We'll read on down through verse 16, um, and we'll continue on with the story of Elijah, uh, God's prophet. In that day and hour, and we'll see what the Lord's got in store here, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened, after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab. And I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now, Obadiah feared. The Lord greatly. For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. Then Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way, by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said, he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. And now you are saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. It will come about when I leave you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told to my master what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. And now you are saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. He will then kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, Before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah, the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this old story. And we thank you for it because it tells us so much about your ways. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would impress uh, this on our hearts tonight. of, Of how you respond to sin and how you raise up people to declare your word and to obey your word. Uh, Lord, we ask your blessing on the time and and trust that as this, the word, the seed goes forth, that it will fall on fertile ground, uh, that our hearts would be receptive to you and that there would be fruit that comes from uh, this word. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Uh, So the Lord accomplishes his will during even desperate times through extraordinary means, because it's from him through ordinary people. That's the gist of this message. And we'll break it down with five points. Notice verse one. I want us to see the regularity of the word of God. We've said it time and time again. Our God is a speaking God. Our God speaks. How does he speak? He speaks to us through the word. It is through the word that we become acquainted with the ways of God. It's through the word that we begin to understand what displeases him. And what pleases him? It's through the word that we uh, begin to comprehend uh, God's attitude uh, toward sin, uh, towards evil, even in the day and time. So God doesn't uh, wink at sin. God is fully aware of the things that go on and God speaks into those situations and he speaks to his people. And this is, this is helpful for us. We look at uh, the situation there in Israel. Uh, back then, we see Ahab, the king. We see he's married to Jezebel. We don't see a lot of teaching here coming from Elijah. He's not, he didn't go to the palace originally just to lay it all out to instruct them about what to do because they already had that instruction. That was all all there. And they had forsaken the ways of God. So Elijah is just calling. he's He's just going to the palace, calling on the king, King Ahab there to say, time's up. You've been neglecting the word of God. You've been neglecting the living God and you've forsaken him for idols. God says, time's up. He's not there to negotiate a deal. He's not there to go you know, for some back and forth. He's not, you know, he's not there to go you know, call on the experts, bring them all in here. Let's figure it all out. No, he's there to say, thus says the Lord. And, uh, and so into that, here's what I think is really important, is that there is no situation beyond God's ability to speak into. And in every situation, even in desperate times, God has his people that he raises up to use to shine as a light in the darkness. And, and this is important for us to see. And though his people may be few, nevertheless, they are there. They are raised up by his word. And they're called to uh, accomplish a task uh, that God will bless. But it's important that they follow the word. So the first point here is important. I want us to see the regularity of the word of God. So if you go back to chapter 17 and verse 1. We see the word of the Lord coming. Uh, Elijah, we're introduced to Elijah there. He's the Tishbite, Elijah the Tishbite. He's of the settlers of Gilead. And he said to Ahab, listen, he's he's not going to the palace to speak to the king just on his own volition. God has directed him. God has given him a word or he wouldn't be there. So he's, this is what he says as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. And this should motivate every child of God. What? That our God is alive and that He's a speaking God and that He cares. He cares about life on planet Earth. He cares about His people. And so He's calling, He's calling His people into the fray. He's not calling us to run. He's not calling us to, uh, you know, find some dark corner of the universe and twiddle our thumbs. No, we have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the will of God before us. He calls us into the fray. That's what he did with Elijah. And Elijah was, if you need reminded, he was an ordinary man. James says he was a man with a light nature as ours. And he prayed. He had to pray. He didn't glow in the dark. He had to experience solitude. He had to be refined. He had to be perfected. His faith had to be strengthened. God wasn't through with him. But what are we talking about? We're talking about the regularity of the word of the Lord. And there it is in verse 2. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him. And then you go verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And then you turn the page. And we see in verse 24, the the woman, the widow at Zarephath says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the what? The word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And then 18, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that what? The word of the Lord came to Elijah. And what I want us to see is that our living God is in the habit of, Of speaking his word to his people. He will bring it. So when you get up tomorrow morning. The Lord has prepared a meal before you. A meal of his word. I I trust that you will get up in the morning. and, And those mercies of God will be fresh before you. They're new every morning. I read that. Um, And, and you will find yourself in the word of God and you will be seeking the word and the will of God as you open the pages because his, he sends his word with regularity. We're so thrilled with that. The sower went out to sow. That's the way the parable goes. And what's that? That sower continues to sow. God has given us his word. We should open it. We should read it. We should apply it. We should live by it. We should be nourished in it and on it and uh, grow thereby. So the regularity of the word of God, he is a speaking God. He is relentless in speaking. Speaking to you and I, disclosing his will, disclosing who he is, what he does, what he values, and then what he expects from you and I. The word of God. Where are we going to get it? I mean, you're not going to get it on Sling TV, right? You're going to get it right here in his word, in the pages of his word. This is a precious book. Make full use of it. Uh, Open it continually. God will nourish your soul. On his word, that takes care of point number one. We're on to point number two. I'd hate to have a pointless sermon, but we will, we'll, we don't want to be pointless. So number two, I want you to notice the severity of God's judgment. The severity of God's judgment. Listen, everyone in here would agree there is an eternal judgment. There's a final judgment. We know that. We've read it. I mean, let's do this. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 2 2nd Peter chapter 2 we'll eventually get to 2nd Peter in our uh, Sunday morning study of these uh, wonderful epistles of Peter but he begins uh, he he begins this chapter 2 talking about the false prophets that arise among people and false prophets as you well know they don't have to dress in preacher garb they can be leaders Ideologues? Government officials. I mean, hey. All they have to they have to have a platform and they're speaking uh, falsehood. So the false prophets, he says in verse one, also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So he mentions judgment there, which would be swift destruction. He says, many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So what is the motivation for the falsehood that they promote? It's greed. Yeah, they love the uh, limelight, but they... They're greedy. They're greedy for gain. That went on back then, and it continues to this very day. He says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction, there it is the word again, is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood... "...upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men... For by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. And he goes on and on and on about this eternal judgment. But make no mistake about it. God demonstrates his judgment even in the here and now. Well, how do we know? Well, we're reading a story here in 1 Kings about the nation of Israel and about how they had forsaken due to their leadership, their ungodly kings, how they had forsaken God's will. They had Basically said, we'll take the idols of the nations. We'll focus on those idols and we will turn our backs on God. And they had done that for years. And then what did the Lord do? He raised up Elijah. He said, go to the palace and tell Ahab. It's not going to rain for three years. Now, folks, I don't care where you live. If you don't have rain for three years, it's tough. But especially over there. I mean, that is a death sentence. That's telling, that's every farmer going, what am I going to do with my sheep? How are my sheep going to survive? How am I going to survive? No, we we even have evidence that the brook of Cherith dried up on Elijah. I mean, it's a devastating judgment of God. Listen, God judges in the earth in the here and now. That's just a fact. And it's, it's all over. I mean, we've got all kinds of things going on in this world, but God does judge in here now. Now, and there is as well an eternal judgment and it's a severe judgment. In this case, it's a three year famine, three years of judgment. Point number three. So I think it's interesting how Ahab handles the judgment. We see it here. What's what's he doing? This king. So the judgment has, it's about to expire. And what is, uh, what's Ahab doing? Well, we have the story here. The famine was severe in Samaria. This is verse two. And then Ahab called Obadiah. Now this is not Obadiah the prophet. This is a different Obadiah. Obadiah over there in the minor prophets. uh, Yeah, this is a different Obadiah. But Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. So Obadiah has a a large responsibility in the palace. And and the Bible is telling us here that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. So that's interesting. We know later on Elijah thinks he's the only one. The only believer left. Lord, am I the only one left? My goodness, what are we going to do? And the Lord shows him uh, uh, exactly the lay of the land. But we have Obadiah here. And Obadiah evidently feared the Lord greatly. And uh, and the Bible tells us how we know that. He says there in verse 4, For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, so that's how bad it was. If you were a prophet of God back then, your life was on the line. And it says, when she was destroying the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. So is, uh, he looks fearless here. And then Ahab said to Obadiah, Obadiah works for Ahab. He says, go through the land, all the springs of water. I mean, this uh, this... Three years right there. It says, verse 1 tells us this is in the third year of the famine. The third year of the drought. And Ahab tells Obadiah, go through all the land, all the springs of water, and to all the valleys. It sounds like they're desperate. Perhaps we will find grass and keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. So they divided the land between them to survey it. What are they looking for? They're looking for water. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Does this look odd to you? I mean, somebody you know, preach me a sermon on why anyone would put grass before God. I mean, you'd think that he'd be brought to his knees in prayer and repentance and sackcloth and ashes. But no, they got two guys covering quite a bit of land there. You go that way, see what you can find. See if you can find some grass, see if you can find some water. And I'll go this way, and I'll see if I can find some water, and I'll see if I can find some grass. I mean, how absurd. Listen, man in his sin is absolutely beyond hope. He's not turning toward God. I have heard, I've heard people say before, well, when things get bad enough, folks will turn to God. There's only one thing wrong with that. It's only true part of the time. It's only true for those who actually turn to God. But just because there are bad times doesn't mean people are going to turn to God. It can mean that for some, and you would pray that. But that general statement just does not ring true. And the Bible shows us here that these bad times, this famine, this drought that went on for three years was not enough to get Ahab on his knees asking God in heaven for forgiveness. He's out there looking for grass. I'll be back later. We're going to go find some grass. And along with that, it does tell you a lot about his heart, that he cares more about his mules And his cattle and his sheep. That he does about the people in his kingdom. Tells you a lot about the man. Tells you a lot about his wife. She's wanting to kill the prophets. He's wanting to keep his livestock alive. And no mention of his people. At all. Uh, Again, point number three. The absurdity of grass. Of man putting grass before God, uh, the, the blessings of life before the blesser, never, don't get that backwards, don't get that turned around, it's always God, and we have it, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and boy, if you're seeking his kingdom, you're seeking his king, Jesus, and seek his righteousness and what? All these other things be added to you. It's really paramount that we make God our, the focal point of our life. God, you are the focal point. And as the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith and follow him. He will never let you down. He's never never, uh, allowed his seed to beg bread. He will provide in due time. He is faithful. He is true. He is always there. He's there to comfort. He's there to console. He's there to lead. He's there to guide. He grants wisdom. He grants strength. He gives us what we need in the time we need it. And he never fails. Our God never fails. But man, point number four, the, uh, the relative, I should say, the relative anonymity of faithful followers of the Lord. And this is in reference to Obadiah. You know, what do you think about when you think about Mount Carmel, when you think about this famine, this drought, all that takes place? You think about Ahab and Jezebel. Most of the time we don't go, yeah, that's a story of Obadiah. No, we say, that's that's Elijah. That's the prophet of God. That's all about Elijah. That's so fascinating. It's so thrilling. What a story. And Obadiah, he's there in relative anonymity. He's kind of like the lesser, much lesser known. And we know that there were other prophets who were faithful during that time. Because he hid them in caves. 50 in that cave, 50 in this cave. They were hiding out. Because Jezebel is on the war path. Here's the lesson. God preserves his people. God always has a remnant. And you know what? God can do more with a bunch of no names. <laughs> and I'm serious about this. And I'll try not to linger here long. But he can do more with, with, with a bunch of no names than he can do with a bunch of big shots. I'll tell you that right now just folks humbly going about the king's business in this life he can work through you he can use you in ways you will never you will never know this side of glory one day we may know about it but that's what god does he uses people like you and me we don't want attention We just want to please God. We want to serve God. We want to to just draw close to God. We want to see God mighty in the earth. We want to see people saved and come to Jesus. We want to see the faithful encouraged in the Lord. That's what we want to see. Don't need headlines. just, Just want a place to serve. And that's always been our God. He just He just likes to take folks out of humble circumstances and just use them for His glory. That's what He does. There's so much here; it's just overwhelming, even to even to try to come up with points because there's so many points. And then, lastly, and this is this is really. <laughs> this is really educational, okay? This is something I don't know that we hear a lot about, but this, it's here, it hit me. Oh, by the way, I just thought, I have, while we were singing, I am resolved no longer to linger, I have an outline I, want to, you, I wanted you to write down so I wouldn't forget because I wasn't going to write it while I was here doing this. Now I'm under pressure to remember it because I can't give it to you there right now. But boy, oh boy, remind me not to forget that. Thanks. Okay. Woo. boy. All right. Point number five. And this is, this is, uh, this is, I want us to see the continuity of obedience to the Lord and how important that is. Because I think sometimes we think, we need to think more like this and not so much like we normally think. Like, I mean, think about Elijah. Think how many opportunities he had to obey God. I mean, first, God says, go to the palace. Huh? The palace? I mean, he's from Gilead. I'm a Tishbite. uh, How am I going to get through the doors? I mean, how do I get an audience with the king? Seems like a pretty tall order from one of the settlers of Gilead to go to the palace. But then you think that, and God says what? He said, after that that statement or pronouncement to the king, God says, uh, go hide yourself. Where? Oh, by the brook Cherith. Uh, And what? Uh, You're going to drink of the brook and ravens are going to bring you food. Uh, I'd rather hide somewhere else. I know I'm on the run, God, because Ahab's not happy. But the brook Cherith and ravens? Really? Hmm. So he does that. So he's two for two. And then the brook dries up. Oh, boy, this is tough again. But what happens? The word of the Lord comes again. He's going to have another opportunity to obey. You see how relentless God is in this? Listen, he's just as relentless for you and me. He's always given us an opportunity to walk through that open door and obey his word. It's always there. And it's always a measure of trust in God and it has so much to do with our sanctification just think if, if Elijah uh, just hypothetically if he hadn't let's say he hadn't you know, he went to the palace and then he wow that was wow that was great God and now you're gonna bring a drought and it's yeah this is all right and now I'm gonna I'm going back to Tishba I'm one and done no, no, no. That's not the way it works. God's refining his person, his, his, his servant, I should say. God refines his servants, his people. You say, well, Brother Bill, that, that guy, he's a great prophet of God. So, he's one of God's people. We have plenty of evidence in the New Testament that God uses various trials to refine and perfect and strengthen our faith. And that comes through opportunities to do his will. So God moves him from the palace to the brook Cherith. And when the brook dries up, the word of the Lord comes again. And God says, okay, now it's time for a hundred mile trip across the desert. Anyone ready? Where, where where are we going? We're going to Zarephath. Oh, Zarephath. That's a place of refinement. That's what the name means. Oh, and there, by the way, it's going to be great because you're going to meet a widow who is on her last leg. I mean, she is about to give up the ghost along with her child and it's just going to be great. Well, doesn't... I mean, the way the mind works, I mean, God, we've been to the palace. I've obeyed you. I've, I've been your servant. And now this, this seems like we're going down the ladder, not up the ladder. What are we doing? But, hey, we're not going to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're going to trust him. And he's going to direct our path. And he's directing Elijah. And he directs him to Zarephath. And sure enough, he gets there. And you know the story. Because we've talked about that. God provided. God used that widow. God reached out through Elijah To this Gentile widow and and helped her. And I think he brought this widow to faith. And God performed a miracle there by raising her child up. God did all that. So what do we see? We see a pattern of obedience with Elijah. And that's what God wants with us. He wants to establish a pattern of obedience. Where we really are growing. We're not just hearers of the word, we're doers of the word as well. And with every step of obedience, we are growing stronger in faith because it's not easy. It's not easy to obey. We let our mind play games. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Why would it make sense that I go to Zarephath? Well, why would it make sense? That I obey your will in this area. Well it may not make sense to you. But will you do it? Will you do it? Will you offer the gospel to someone less fortunate? Will you be generous in this area? Will you? I mean it's endless. The opportunities that we have to serve God. So the continuity of obedience to the Lord, which was established here in the life of Elijah and the Lord is growing and the Lord is going to give him more opportunities to obey. And you know what? He's not always going to obey. It's not always going to happen. And the Lord's going to teach him through that as well. So here's what we leave with. We serve a living God. He's speaking. His word continues to come to us. We have the regularity of the word of God. We know that God is active in this world in judging sin. I mean, I'm telling you right now, these people, these people that are promoting and propagating just stuff that you you can't even, I mean, we're not even going to mention it. Um, Just watch. God does not turn a blind eye to that stuff. He does not wink at sin, uh, sin of the magnitude of what we see in our world. And then always putting God first, always looking first and foremost to his word and to what he values and what he wants. And then, uh, just be encouraged. Um, you know, nobody, you know, Probably not going to write any books about any of us in here. Probably no books written. Probably no headlines to be had. Just serve God faithfully and quietly. And just watch God bless. Just behold his blessing. And then really be aware of establishing a continuity of obedience in your life. And in that way, please the Lord and grow uh, by leaps and bounds, as it were. Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you for your great mercy and your work. You are, you are the one true living and awesome God in heaven. You rule over all. God, you're so good to your people. We thank you that you uh, preserve a remnant. We thank you that you continue to speak to us. Just continue to work in our lives, and we'll continue to give you all the praise. We'll be careful to give you all the glory uh, for your goodness and mercy to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.